my son came into my room and he just said that he wished that he had the mommy that he used to have, that she would get out of bed and do things with them like she used to. And that hit home with me. I've always strived to be the best mom that I could be. Always did everything that I could for my kids. My kids were everything to me. So when my son came to me and pretty much gave me that plea, I wasn't sure what to do. Today's Stay Free Forever podcast is sponsored by the Adult Cognitive Awareness Course, available either online or by mailed workbook. Here's what a recent student and his coach, the man's girlfriend, had to say about it. The student, a 30-year-old man, wrote, I think this course is a very good eye-opener. It helped me understand why I am the way I am in some areas of life. I know now how to take intentional steps, not put myself into compromising situations. His coach wrote, it's a very good program. It helps with emotions and with overcoming hurt and trauma. It's good with changing directions in life. It gives hope. For more information about this $95 self-directed adult course and others, as well as all $85 youth courses, please go to stayfreeforever.com. And welcome to the Stay Free Forever podcast, episode six. My name is Clifford Fuel, host of the podcast that aims to help you adapt and thrive. This podcast intends to share the real-life journeys of people who have fallen and fallen hard. Even though these failings may have been due to drugs, alcohol, criminal thinking, a bad economy, homelessness, irresponsible friends, dysfunctional family, some combination of all of those or something else, they did not last forever. And that's where this podcast comes in. To be a guest on the Stay Free Forever podcast requires not only a turnaround, but a willingness to divulge details of that turnaround. Share your struggles with strangers. It requires courage, humility, memory, empathy, and a whole lot more. People ask me, how do you get these people to open up like that? My answer is simple. They want to help. My guest today has shown a true desire to serve others. Over the past few years, Samantha Johnson of Delta County, Colorado, had been experiencing truly hard times involving addiction, homelessness, loss of her children, and more. To Samantha's credit, she had already done much of the heavy lifting to turn her life around when, last summer, she had a setback. The Delta County Adult Diversion Program contacted me and asked me to provide an online cognitive awareness course to Samantha, for reasons we'll get to in a little bit. As an aside, I must add that Delta County is a leader in Colorado and the U.S. in the way they invite people to work hard on their own issues in order to avoid criminal court. We'll talk about that some, too. Samantha Nicole Johnson was born 36 years ago in Phoenix, Arizona. She and an older sister and younger brother were raised by their mom and moved around a lot until Stratton, Colorado, where Samantha went to high school. There, she eventually dropped out got her GED in 2005, and earned her CNA nursing assistant certificate twice, 10 years apart, before trying in 2017 for her Bachelor of Science degree in nursing, a goal she still has for herself. 
When I asked Samantha what she was good at as a kid, she said, and I quote, school. I was in gifted and talented programs. I won a lot of contests for essays and such that I wrote. Knowledge interested me. I just wanted to learn everything I could. As for what she wanted to be when she grew up, Samantha said, I always wanted a career that would be fulfilling and rewarding. My heart found nursing. And now, after my journey these past four years, it's peer coaching and addiction counseling. That sounds like a good place to start. Welcome to the Stay Free Forever podcast, Samantha Johnson. Hi, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. May I call you Sammy? Yes, you may. Excellent. <laughs> Sammy, describe a great day with your family today, please. Starting with waking up in the morning and hearing my two little boys running down the hall to see who can get to the cereal first, listening to their older sister yell at them to be quiet or it's more shut up because she's still sleeping. And then me getting up, chasing after them to go get coffee and making sure they don't make a huge disaster of the kitchen. And then shortly after my boyfriend following and then us just finding some kind of adventure to do, hiking, fishing, taking the dogs for a walk, doing yard work, whatever it is. Simple pleasures. The simple things. A lot of people covet that. There was a time not too very long ago when you didn't have that opportunity for that kind of day, right? Absolutely. Tell me about that. I had supervised visitations with my kids for about an hour a day. For how long? About a year before I got unsupervised visitations. So going back to before your kids were taken from you, what was life like? Chaotic, a little crazy, uh, being pretty much a single mom. With four kids, working two jobs, trying to just live day to day with them. It gets a little crazy with school with them and work with me and just doing it on your own. It's not easy. What were your jobs? I worked as a CNA and I worked as a cook at a restaurant. That's a lot of hours. Yes, it is. I worked nights at a nursing home and I worked during the day at the restaurant. Give us the background to how you eventually came to lose your children for a while. I went through a horrible domestic violence situation where the guy had beat me pretty bad. He stabbed me and cut my throat, left me for dead. He was arrested. He had went to jail, got out, and five days later came to my house and fired shots through my bedroom window trying to kill me and shot somebody else in front of me. How did you survive that? I don't think that I really did. I was going to therapy five days a week, seeing three different therapists, taking a handful of medication, and nothing seemed to help. I couldn't escape my head. I lived in nightmares and fear. I was terrified to leave my house. I thought he was everywhere even though I knew he was locked up. It just didn't matter. I thought he was still going to be coming after me. So I was just terrified of everything. Where did that take you? Down a dark path. I was super depressed. I stayed in bed most of the time. I hardly left my house. If I did, it was for things that were absolutely needed. And then I was introduced to cocaine and methamphetamines. 
Did you seek them or did someone offer them to you as a remedy? Somebody offered them to me. First, it was cocaine and it gave me that numbing feeling and kind of took my took me out of my head. It made my head just stop with everything that was going on in it. It just continued on. And, I, and then I switched to methamphetamines because it's cheaper on the street and the effects of it last longer and just a lot of different things. And that led me down an even darker path. You mentioned earlier you were in bed, depressed, and your son came in to talk to you. What happened there? My son came into my room and he just said that he wished that he had the mommy that he used to have, that she would get out of bed and do things with them like she used to. And that hit home with me. I've always strived to be the best mom that I could be. Always did everything that I could for my kids. My kids were everything to me. So when my son came to me and pretty much gave me that plea, I wasn't sure what to do. And then that remedy was offered to me. And to me, it was a a doorway out. And for a while it was. For about how long? Um, About a year. So you got some productive use of meth for about a year. When did it start to tip away from your favor? When things just started falling apart, I started losing friendships and my family. And then when I lost my kids, that's when it really took a toll on me. How did that come about, losing your kids? Um, I got a phone call one day from CPS, Child Protective Services, that there was quite a few referrals made to them that... Um, the kids were in an unsafe environment and that I had been partying and they wanted me to do a drug test. And I told them no. And within just a couple of hours, my kids were removed from my home. Were your kids in an unsafe environment? Looking back at it, yes, absolutely. So then what happens? I fought it for a long time. I was very resistant in the beginning. I didn't believe that they were in an unsafe environment. I thought that I was doing what I thought was best for my kids when, of course, absolutely it was not. <laughs> But everything, looking back at it, was just horrible at that time. I started getting sober, and I had some spurts. So my kids were taken in February 2021, and by May, I had lost my home. So they were taken at the beginning of February, and by May, I had lost my house and became homeless. When I was moving and cleaning and trying just to pack things up, I realized how bad I had let things slip because I was on the road to recovery by then. I was getting sober. And I realized packing my kids' room and cleaning the house that I had extremely let my kids be in an unsafe environment. And that's when it really hit me and it really hit me hard. And then I started taking my recovery a whole lot more serious than I had prior. Sounds to me like you were in recovery and homeless. How did you manage? I actually ended up relapsing when I was homeless. I was only homeless for a couple of weeks, but even just a few days of being homeless is hard. But I did end up relapsing. But as soon as my boyfriend and I got our apartment, I got sober again. And that is when I remain sober. And so this June will be my two-year sobriety. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And then that's when I really stepped it up and took it into the next year with my recovery. I did outpatient treatment. I enrolled in every kind of therapy group that I could, they would allow me to. 
and I just started flying through everything. That's when my visitations with my kids started. I get started getting more time with them, and then they started going to unsupervised visits. And by May of 2022, my kids were having overnight visits. And by July of 2022, I had sole custody of my kids back. Wow. And where had they been sent while they were away from you? They were with my parents. That's a break. I was truly thankful for my parents to be able to take my kids. If not, they would have been separated in foster homes. Not to dwell too much on the negative, but what was your experience of homelessness like? Give us some details, if you would. I lived out of my car. Everything was literally in the trunk of my car that I needed. A bag of clothes, a bag of hygiene stuff, and everything else I had to put in storage. Not having my belongings or my things that were close to me was hard for me going through recovery. I was trying to find work at the time because that was one of my stipulations with the courts and my treatment plan is that I had to be working and being homeless, you can't work. You don't have an address. You can't really show up to work clean or have clean clothes or anything like that. I did stay with my boyfriend's mom for a little while. So I got thankful. I was thankful there and super grateful for that. But that was really hard, just being cramped in a little bitty travel trailer with a couple of people. So (laughs) it was really hard. But I still lived out of my car with just a couple of bags of things. So you and your boyfriend were able to find a place. Our landlords, prospective landlords, uh, how are they treating you? We actually had quite a hard time finding a place. I don't really have a record, but my boyfriend does. So he's a felon. So that made it hard for us to be able to find a place. And then he doesn't have really have a rent history. And I did, but because it was considered an eviction, that made it really hard to find a place. But we were thankful and super blessed that we found a lady that gave us a chance. If you had to advise yourself back then about your home search in particular, or if you had to advise other people today about searching for housing under those hard circumstances, what would you tell them? Oh, goodness. Um, just be honest. Honesty is when it goes a long way. Uh, we were honest with the lady and told her, you know, the, our situation and everything that was going on. You know, we both had jobs at the time and We had the money that we were able to pay that, you know, we weren't going to trash the place. It was just him and I, and she took the chance. Are you still in that place? No, actually we have moved on because that was a little one bedroom, one bath apartment. We have of course had to upgrade because we've got the kids back. So we are now in a four bedroom, two bath house. Great. What was it like having your kids come back full time? It was an adjustment because I got, it was so long with just my boyfriend and I, Zachary and I. So in the mornings it was, well, we got to get them up too for school instead of just him and I got to get them up. Our budget, we've had to change because of groceries, school clothes. 
this last year was the first year and I don't know how long that I did not have to get assistance from anybody to buy their school clothes or their school supplies. And to me, that's a huge accomplishment. We have made the different adjustments. We've made the strides. We have made everything to make it work for them. And it's been great having them home. Like I can hear them right outside the door right now with the dogs. Yeah, that's a happy sound. Uh, you had mentioned before that the uh, kids had distanced themselves from you. And how did that distance close? We had long talks and I had to be honest with them. I had to answer questions that they had. And they were, you know, not easy questions. There were some very hard ones in there. But I just had to be honest with them. I had to have those conversations that a parent probably should never have with their kid and just tell them, you know, what was going on at that time and what led to the things that had happened to my, my drug use, to them getting taken away, to why, the what's why's and the who's pretty much. And just let them on their terms and on their time to have that forgiveness for me, which wasn't easy. I'm still working on it with my oldest daughter, who's 21. Did you actually ask forgiveness? No. Something that you learn in recovery is you don't actually ask for forgiveness. You, you can kind of ask for forgiveness, but you don't just straight out say, can you please forgive me? With my kids... I just had to tell them why the things happened. And at their ages, they have to be able to process everything and understand it on their level. So that's just what I've had to do with them. And, and then just hope that they came around. And it sounds like they are. Absolutely. My boys, there's no doubt in, in my mind that my boys have forgiven me and that it's just something in the past that has made us stronger as a family. My girls, they're my older two. My 17-year-old, she still has some resentment. She doesn't understand why I allowed those things to happen. And same with my oldest daughter. But one day, maybe they will. Do you have any specific plan for protecting them from sliding into the, the life that you led that went so badly? I'm just honest with them. They have had these huge seminars and things at the high school about fentanyl and how it's been snuck into even marijuana. And so I've just had to be honest with my oldest, well, my second oldest daughter about it and just tell her, look, if you're going to smoke pot or whatever, just be cautious don't fall into the traps, the peer pressure. If you're having a hard time mentally, there's people out there that can help. There's different courses, group therapies, all sorts that can help you. The cognitive thinking course that I took through you was amazing. Uh, I took a DBT therapy that was amazing. Those two were huge that helped me the most. There were just things in there that helped me change my way of thinking, switching the whole negative 
thought process to a positive thought process, not dwelling on things. Like there were some things that I would think of or I would see that would remind me of the whole incident with my ex. And I would go into a straight panic attack. Now I can look at that same thing and it won't even affect me. Or even hearing his name anymore doesn't even affect me. And just working on through that with DBT therapy, because that was still in the beginning of my recovery, I was able to just kick those thoughts from my head. Can you remind us what DBT stands for? It is dialectical behavioral therapy. When you are in addiction, how scary is the prospect of sobriety or getting sober? It's scary. It is scary. It hit me hard because nowadays you never know what fentanyl is in. Like when I got sober, I went through days of agony. Nowadays there are medications that can help. Just like Suboxone for heroin use, they have naltroxone for methamphetamine use. And I was able to get that medication to help with my cravings and with some of the physical symptoms. It, not too much, but it definitely helped with the cravings. Do you have any lingering effects from your methamphetamine use? I have dentures now and I'm only 36. <laughs> What would you say to people who are considering in a moment of need because it's cheap on the street and because it lasts longer and because it can have a temporary lift in your productivity with your family or whatever, your work, what would you say to them? Don't do it. Don't do it. It's truly not worth it because I ended up losing my family. I ended up losing everything. And I had to fight so hard to gain everything back. I literally started from rock bottom, from scratch, to be where I am today. So you got to a pretty good place. And speaking of the cognitive awareness course you took from me, what happened there, Sammy? Why did you get assigned that cognitive awareness course from Delta County Diversion? I got into an altercation with my neighbor, and I got a assault charge and was put on diversion for it. So... Well, my diversion officer had me choose from a list of classes, and I chose the cognitive thinking skills because I figured it would be the most beneficial to me. What about that episode with your neighbor? Any regrets? Anything you would do differently? I would definitely just walk away. Totally not worth it. No matter what he said, no matter what name he called me or anything, I would have just walked away. Instead, what did you do? I hit him. I punched him because of a couple things he said to me. So I ended up getting a, 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 I think it was a third degree assault charge. What was your diversion experience like? This is the second time I've been on diversion and I've had great experiences. Each time I have learned something that I've needed to learn. The first time I was on diversion was in the first part of my recovery. They were actually going to terminate me the first time because I wasn't cooperating and then all of a sudden I started doing my drug tests and they were all negative and so they gave me a second chance and I ended up completing it and then right after I got off I got the second charge. So walk us through the diversion experience. So it's an opportunity for you to go through the diversion program. They have certain requirements for you to do 
And if you complete those requirements within a certain time frame, then your charges pretty much disappear and fall off your record as if nothing happened. What are some examples of the requirements? Well, my requirements was I had 40 hours of community service and I had to do the cognitive thinking skills class. And that's all I had to do this time. And then, of course, I had to pay my fees and whatnot that are associated with the program. That was it. And are you treated with respect? Absolutely. Does it feel like you're in the system? No, not really. The diversion officers are absolutely amazing. They listen to you. If you have an issue of any kind, they help you sort through it. That's how my peer coaching came about is my diversion officer came to me and said, hey, we have this program and I think that you would be absolutely great for it. With everything that you've gone through with your journey and everything, we think that you would be a perfect candidate. So they gave me a bunch of packets to look through and I started reading about it and started researching more about peer coaching. And so I decided that's what I want to do. So where are you in that process now, Sammy? I'm just in the beginning process of it. It is a lot of work, a lot of work, and it's going to take me a while because I do work a full-time job, but I'll eventually get it done. What will peer counseling do for you? I can help others get through whatever it is that is holding them back because A lot of the time when people have an addiction, there's an underlining problem or an underlining disease that is causing that addiction. And to get to the bottom of that and to figure out that problem or that issue, then they can kick that addiction. Ultimately, you'd like to get your nursing degree. Still a plan? Maybe one day. (laughs) I have so many plans, so many dreams. I love nursing. I've been a CNA pretty much 20 years. And it's great. And I love my job now. Where I work now is fabulous. I've worked in almost every part of nursing that you could think of, you know, within my scope of practice. Tell me about your job. What's a typical day? I get there probably about 5.30, 5.45 in the morning, go to my office and I grab my things I need for the day, shove my pockets full with my pins and everything. Then I start helping with getting people up for breakfast, you know, getting them out of bed, getting them dressed and everything. Cause I work in a long-term facility that also has a rehab wing, get them into the dining room, get them served breakfast. There's the few people that we have to help feed. And then after breakfast is when I actually get to start my actual duties. Cause I'm a restorative nursing assistant. So I do restorative therapy and I do pretty much anything from range of motion with residents to full on exercises, depending on what the restorative program is. Lately, things have been insane. We've had state in the building. We've had a few falls. We've had a lot of training. I train people on the lifts and I do a lot of the educations that have to be done. I don't know. My days are crazy. I don't know how I fit it all in from six to two. So are you off at two then? I'm supposed to be. (laughs) Doesn't always happen. So once you are off, what happens then? I come home and I plan dinner. Then the kids get home from school and then it's homework and dinner, showers, bed, and then it starts all over again. (laughs) That's great. Before we get to the next two parts of this podcast, tell me, what are Sammy's dreams? Peer coaching, nursing. They both have my heart right now. We are definitely wanting to buy a house soon. Just searching for the right house. Just, I don't know, living the normal life, I guess. 
Sounds like a great dream to me. As you know, part two of the Stay Free Forever podcast involves me reading to you an answer from a recent course and getting your feedback on it. This one happens to be from a DUI course. A young woman in her 30s from Wyoming was asked in her online course, what values have worsened over the years? She writes, I suspect our values have deteriorated over these 50 to 100 years past. Who's making supper? Who's sitting down to that supper? Who's helping pa with the hogs? Who's butchering those hogs? Who's teaching Junior how to drive? If you're asking me, yes, times today are far worse than the days of the poor folk rubbing two nickels together, worrying about drought and famine, or even fighting it out one-on-one -on -one in the street. We have active shooters every day. We have cancer and pandemic. We have drunk drivers killing innocent people for no reason other than their own blind, dumb stupidity because they thought they were better than either alcohol or the law. Hmm. I don't even like turning on the TV sometimes or the radio because all you hear about is some new shooting or some new murder that's happened. Things are crazy. But yes, people's values have changed. They're not the same as they have been. And they're just insane. They're just nothing. Like I try to instill values in my kids every day, like honesty and integrity. And they always say, well, mom, what's integrity? Doing the right thing, even when nobody's looking. That's the biggest thing. Just values. I don't know. Values, people just don't know what values are anymore. That's all I can really say on that. It's true. Like they just don't know what values are at all. So I guess I hear you saying we each got to do our own part. We do. Like my son, this little girl came up and slapped him at school last week. And he didn't do anything back. It was a girl. But he has no idea why she did it. And I was like, well, maybe you should go talk to the counselor and ha have her be a mediator and have a conversation with the girl and figure out why. And it's just things like that to try to dis instill into the kids nowadays so that they have values growing up that sounds like a really reasonable solution do you think that'll happen it hasn't yet <laughs> <laughs> well still kids absorb a lot i'm impressed with your solution to that The third and final part of our podcast is where we each share a quote or passage that has meaning for us, and we talk about it. Who would you like to go first? I'll let you go first. All righty then. Are you familiar with the newspaper columnist named Carolyn Hacks? No, I don't think I am. She's syndicated. She originates in the Washington Post, and I read her just about every day. And just today, I had a different quote in mind, but just today... She had this as part of an answer to a person who was saying that her mother had been ill and embarrassed herself horribly at a family gathering in a way that was too much for people to forgive and forget. And the woman was wondering, how do I deal with this? And one paragraph leaped off the page to me, and it reads like this. Our minds can break down and reshape problems for us as we focus on daily life, even as we sleep. 
So when in doubt and when you can, it can pay off to wait out big questions until your subconscious has done its thing. That's true, because sometimes you you don't ever know the answer to anything, and then you're just sleeping or you're just sitting there, and then all of a sudden it just comes to you. So I guess what she's saying is don't be in such a rush to solve. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though, I, like, with my drug addiction, I should have known that it was going to take time to truly overcome everything that I had been through, and I was just being impatient because I eventually have overcome it. Yeah, and did it well. Extremely well. <laughs> I like that self-confidence. So yeah. mine is a quote from Edgar Allan Poe. Words have no power to impress the mind without the exquisite horror of the reality. Words have no power to impress the mind without the exquisite horror of their reality. Wow. I thought mine was deep. What does that mean to you? Uh, just everything that I'd been through. Um, the, the words that people were saying to me didn't really mean anything because they had not lived the things that I had lived. They had not been through the things that I had been through. So their words had no power to me and no way to impress me because they didn't live the, the reality of the horror. Only my words and what I said to myself were my true power. So it was all me that got me through everything that I had been through and through my recovery and to get me where I am today. And where are you today? Successful. Sober. And enjoying life. Wow. Sometimes I wish this was a video podcast because I wish people could see the smile on your face right now. And I'm smiling too out of gratitude for the time you took to have this conversation, Tammy. So thank you very much. Thank you. podcast listeners this is Clifford Fuel again to let you know that by going to stayfreeforever.com you can check out all 17 adult courses eight juvenile and dozen prevention intervention courses for kids such as vaping awareness bullying social media awareness and more each of these courses is really all about each student's favorite subject themselves it is an opportunity to really think about how we think and to change risky thinking and behavior into more successful and rewarding outcomes. Online or mailed workbook versions are just $85 for youth and $95 for adults. Youth courses take anywhere from 4 to 10 hours, and adult courses 11 to 15 hours. Thanks for listening, and go to stayfreeforever.com to learn more. The Stay Free Forever podcast is recorded and produced by Clifford Fuel, owner of Stay Free Forever LLC, a Colorado and Wyoming company. Stay Free Forever provides adult and youth life skills courses via both e-learning and mailed workbooks, plus Zoom classes for any age group. 
Our theme music was composed and performed by James Benjamin Fuel. Editing and technical assistance are provided by Mary Tulin. My name is Molly Moore. For more information, go to stayfreeforever.com or email clifford at stayfreeforever.com.